Thank you. Please be seated. How is everyone this morning? The adventure starts here. And uh, I just want to say, um, Aaron, um, that you were only in the video because they just needed the obligatory um, white person. And uh, they were just getting their revenge. <laughs> Superb. That is so good. Who's just loving church at the moment? Isn't it exciting? Just the presence of God, you know, um, we've been having um, early morning prayer meetings on Friday, every other Friday morning, uh, the Overwatch, and uh, we, we did it for three um, for uh, three prayer meetings, and it was just going to come for a season. I, I like to do stuff for seasons, uh, particularly like early morning prayer meetings, because if you do them forever, eventually there's one person turning up, and that's me. <laughs> And, uh, you know, because it's very difficult to maintain that kind of, uh, that kind of commitment. Uh, but when you're coming into the summer and when the clocks begin to turn and lights, mornings start getting light again, everybody starts waking up a little bit early and they start going, yeah, I can do this. And, and uh, they can't do it for long, but they, you know. And uh, so we've been having these uh, early morning prayer times and we were praying on Friday morning. Uh, it, and uh, with the guys, and it was just so. There's a camaraderie, and there's a kind of there's a, there's a there's a real sense of being together, and just feeling the presence of God in the house at half past six uh, with coffee and donuts. I mean, it's the perfect combination, isn't it? You've got coffee, you've got donuts, you've got your friends, and God turns up because He likes donuts too, and. Uh, <laughs> And uh, so just such an amazing, amazing time. And uh, we, we have found that, that um, in this new season that, that the church is coming into, it's a season which is reflective of where the city is at. Um, we began to see that the downturn of the oil industry, uh, began to see that the impact of that start hitting uh, at the end of uh, 2014 into 2015. Everyone started to feel it. Now we're really beginning to feel it. Uh, and you can feel there is a shift and a change. But uh, I want you to understand that, that what happens with, with shift and change is that adventures start. Because it, it starts, to, it, it changes your perspective of what's going on around you. Um, T.S. Eliot said this, Only those who are willing to risk going too far can possibly find out how far you can go. Let me read that to you again. Only those who are willing to risk going too far can possibly find out how far you can go. And, you know, I, I, um, uh, I have this kind of um, attitude. This, I find I'm the type of person that will just push things to the limit. I don't mean to. I often ask myself, why did you do that? Like, if I'm cooking, I will just have the temperature too high. And because uh, I just wanted it a bit quicker. And uh, there's those kind of things. It's, uh, if, if it says one spoon of chili, well, what's wrong with two, right? And uh, <laughs> I just like pushing the boundaries and, and seeing whether you can, um, in, in every circumstance of life, just see how much more you can get out of it. But what I found is this, that with uh, an extraordinary lack of natural gifting or actual ability, I found that, that God has opened up things for me which wouldn't have opened up had I not just pushed it. And, and, you know, for most people, most people feel like that, that things can't change um, situations because they're not gifted enough, they're not, um, they don't have the qualification, they don't have the money, they don't have the opportunity. Um, actually, what they don't have is the willingness to push. Yeah. Uh, and we, to have an adventure, you've got to be willing to just push something. 
uh, and to actually just go into that place where you're, you're, you're going to say, I'm, I'm going to find out how far I can go. And if I fall flat on my face in the process, if it all goes wrong, well, I tried. Um, and, and trying is better than just sitting down uh, and not bothering. Um, when I was a kid uh, growing up, I had a, I've got a friend. Um, I lost contact with him for, for many years, but Facebook is a wonderful thing. And uh, his name uh, was, was Wayne. And me and Wayne were at school together. And um, we, in fact, we were in Sunday school together first. And then in, we, it, when we came to high school, we were then together at high school. And we just entered into all kinds of crazy adventures. But for the most part, our lunchtime sort of hangout, we were in different classes, but at lunchtime hangout at school um, was to sneak out of the school gates. Now, in Scotland, when in Scotland you can just walk out, you can go anywhere, can't you? The, the, but in England, it's a prison. And, uh, and once you're in school grounds, you're in school grounds. You're not allowed to leave unless you've got a written permission. Of course, that didn't stop me. But he, uh, So we would always sneak out uh, on lunchtime and we'd sneak out. And we'd go down, as children do, down to the recreation ground um, to wreck it. That's why it's called a recreation ground. And, uh, and we went down on every, every lunchtime. We would go down there and there were two um, basic sort of playing areas where we would hang out. There were the swings or the roundabouts. And here's the thing, right? After a while of swinging on the swings and spinning the roundabouts, you kind of get a bit bored, right? So you want to find out what you can do. So in the end, but we, what we discovered was really there wasn't much else to do. And no matter how much we thought and how much we tried, the only thing we ever managed to do was see how far we could launch ourselves from the swings... <laughs> Or how fast you can get the roundabout spinning while trying to jump on or off. And, uh, and that's all we ever did. Every lunchtime. What should we do? Well, let's just spin the roundabout. <laughs> and so we just ended up doing the same old thing every lunchtime. And we did that week in, week out for months. It was like the combination of me and Wayne together created half a brain. And... <laughs> And, and we just never really managed anything else. And I think a lot of it's got to do with the fact that we weren't in a place. Um, we, had, we just had the same perspective. If you go to the recreation ground every day of your life, what are you going to do? Play with the swings, play with the run. There isn't anything else there. So because there's nothing else there, you're not going to do anything else. Uh, it reminds me of this scripture in, in, in Judges chapter 6. And we're going to look at the story of Gideon. It says, now, Judges chapter 6 and verse 11. It says, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which is in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash. And while his son Gideon threshed the wheat in the winepress in order to hide from the Midianites, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord turned and said to him, Go in this might of yours, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? 
So he said to him, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said to him, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat, an unleavened bread, for an, uh, uh, an effort of flour, the meat he put in a basket and, put, um, and he brought broth in a pot. Then he brought them out to him under the terrace terebinth tree and presented them then the angel of god said to him take the meat and the unleavened bread lay it on this rock and pour out the broth and he did so then the angel of the lord put out the end of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread the fire rose out of the rock consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the lord departed out of his sight now here's the thing adventures rarely happen outside of a place of constant peace they, they rarely happen other than in a place where there's a point of tension. If you're in a place of peace and a place of um, just ease, why would you go on an adventure? Why would you risk it? Uh, because adventures, for the first point, you know, Gabby's talking, everyone's listening to Gabby's story going, wow, that's exciting. You're mad. <laughs> As a dad, I'm thinking, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you know the, the, the point is that what happens is that we come to a point of pressure and a point of pressure places a demand on us to think differently to see our current circumstances differently here's the thing with Gideon he's threshing wheat in the wine press and that's not a pleasant place to thresh wheat thresh wheat in the wine press is a small it's enclosed it's a hot area and what you need in, in, uh, to thresh wheat is an open space somewhere where you can catch the wind and you can, you can get the wheat in the air and he's trying to do it in a confined space but here's the thing he's used to doing that he has become settled with less because he's found he can and we will often settle with less because at least it's something But something in your heart says, God wants me to find more. There's something that God has placed on our lives that says we are going to get more. There is more for us. It's that that's that niggle on the inside that you can't quite can't quite grab a hold of. Even Gideon had the niggle, but the niggle didn't. It didn't motivate him to do anything because all he could see was his captivity so he settled with the less and we end up settling with less well this church isn't settling with less you know when you settle with less what you end up with is this compromise where you try and find a way of explaining why you're in the circumstances you're in you create a theology that explains your circumstances and this is Gideon's theology Gideon's theology is God has rejected us God doesn't care for us anymore there are people here who in your in your 
circumstances and the pressure of your life, you've decided that God doesn't care enough for your situation. He doesn't care or he believe, you believe, you have decided that really the grace, the vision, the life, the faith, the adventure, it's just outside of your reach. Maybe you've gotten too old. Maybe you've just gotten too tired. Maybe you just feel like, well, it, it, it's now out of reach. So, so I'm, I'm just going to hang on till I die. <laughs> Some people just try and decide they want to hang on till they die. Other people may just try and shift it in some other way. They will try and blame it. Oh, well, maybe it's me. Uh, you know, God wanted me to do something, but I let him down. And, and this is my lot, and I'm just going to settle with it. And we end up with settling with less than best. Something else happens is we get so used to less than best that we don't see it anymore. We forget to notice that you don't thresh wheat in the wine press. We just keep doing the same old stuff. As I travel around, I notice churches will settle with less than best. You go into a church and you find that things aren't quite right. The building is in a poor state of disrepair and different things. And keeping a building, keeping this building is a major challenge. It's a a very old building. The windows rot. The the roof leaks. The... um, the electrics are sometimes dodgy. The plumbing, who knows what's going on with the plumbing. And, and, and the toilets, Paul. The toilets, have they not been a problem? <laughs> One time, the lift shaft filled with poo. <laughs> what do you do with that? Particularly when the drainage system is 12 foot under the ground. Under the ground, under the building. What are you going to do with that? We just go, please Jesus, heal it right now. <laughs> So you end up settling with less because best doesn't appear to be an option for you anymore. Best is somehow just slightly out of reach. But what happens is that when somebody else comes into a church and you come in and I'm talking just in the physical presentation of a church and nothing else, sometimes you come in as as an outsider, you come in and you go, why is that left over there? But nobody else sees it. They've gotten used to it just being a little untidy. Just a little, going to, I remember going to a church once and they had, um, funny, they had a pink carpet. Now, we used to have, it wasn't pink, it was kind of raspberry. It was raspberry. That's what it was. It was a raspberry carpet. But I remember going into this church with a pink carpet and it was, it was um, coffee stains and and chewing gum and stuff, and it was worn out, it was a bit threadbare. And I just remember thinking, this is horrible. I'd already decided the place was horrible. And after that, nothing else I could take seriously. I just couldn't take it seriously anymore because the carpet was horrible. That's why we changed our carpet. Because <laughs> if you're serious about God, you, you, you want to present it good, right? You, wanna, you, wanna, you want to... You don't want to settle with less than best. And so what happens is that we we begin to settle with less. And Gideon had settled with less. And he had done so because he couldn't see how it could change. Here's the thing that happens. He meets with God. He meets with the angel of the Lord. And later on the scripture says 
that Gideon came to a place where the angel of the Lord turned up and says, you must remove the Baal that was established by your father's house. And what had happened in their village that they had established an altar for Baal. They're living in captivity going, God, why? But they've got an altar for Baal outside the back door. It is extraordinary how we're asking for God for a breakthrough, but we've got a Baal outside the back door of our own life. And the Baal is a point of disobedience that we've refused to accept or even notice is even there anymore. We're so used to it being there that we've decided that we're not going, we're not even going to go there. We're just kind of, you know what? God hasn't killed me yet, so clearly it's not an issue. (laughs) I've been going all right these years. That's not the problem. Must be something else. That's not the problem. But here's the thing, if you want an adventure, the adventure is outside of the place you are now. If you want to get outside of the place, you've got to remove the thing that is holding you in captivity in the first place. And there are bales in our life, there are mindsets and habits, there are attitudes that we have. And some of those attitudes are so strong that you are even struggling to recognize where they are and what they are. But you have to ask the Holy Ghost, see, see when... The angel of the Lord came to Gideon. He says, you're a mighty man of valor. God comes to you and says, you're a mighty man of valor. I want you to understand, the moment God says to that, you're in trouble. You're in trouble right now. Oh, I'm a mighty man of valor. Do you know what that means? It means you're going to have addressed stuff that you've been living with for the last 20 years. Because now you've got to deal with something. You want the adventure, but God's going, yeah, you can get rid of the Midianites. But before we deal with the Midianites... Let's deal with the house. Before we get out there, let's have an adventure in here. Let's make this good. Then we can get out and make that good. Let's get this right. And so what happens is that to have an adventure, we have to deal with our mindsets. And some of those mindsets are restrictions saying, God doesn't do this. God can't do that. God won't come here. These things can't happen. I can't change. I can't be healed. I won't be healed. God doesn't want to heal me. These are all mindsets and attitudes. We have, there are hundreds of them. I could try and find as many as possible to try and maybe trigger in your brain and you going, oh yeah, that might be me. It's like someone who's trying to improve their health but refuses to acknowledge some of the habits they have in their life in the first place. They want to go to the doctor and they want to be healthy. They go to the gym, but it's not stopping them from eating the things that are causing them to be unhealthy in the first place. If you're going to the gym, but you're eating the wrong food, you're wasting your time. It makes no difference. Get it in the house before you go out of the house. And so what God wants is He wants to remove the bales. He wants us to deal with the things that we have to deal with. You know... um, when um, I got made redundant, when I was, uh, I was 19 years old, uh, and I'd been working for my uncles, and they had a furniture business in a town called Haywards Heath. Uh, Haywards Heath is the archetypal middle-class south of England town. Um, everybody votes conservative. And uh, <laughs> it's just, you can imagine, everything's just nice. And... Uh, and but it's not really. But, you know, it looks like it. And uh, so, 
Hayward's Heath. This is where we. This is where I was born. I was born in Hayward's Heath, and I had come back to to work there with my uncles. Uh, and they had this big furniture store, and we're just in this kind of nice place. And we and I'd worked there for a couple of years, and uh, with my uncles, and it was a great. But my uncles retired, and they sold the uh, they sold the property to Lloyd's Bank, who knocked it down and built a great big office block. Uh, and so I was made redundant, and so I came back to my father, and I said to him. Uh, and we chatted away, and we'd been talking for a while. And I said with my father, "Hey, let's get this business, family business, going again. The way it was, the way grandfather had started the business with the more, more high-quality handmade furniture." And uh, so that's kind of how we started. That was the adventure. That was the kind of like the forming our heart and mind. There's an adventure out there. But what we had to deal with first, first was. Well, what have we got right here? You're going to have a business. Well, what have we got? And what my father had was a garage which had um, a tin roof and a mud floor. And the garage was going to be the showroom. It's got a... <laughs> the thing is, the garage... My dad had a workshop in a corner of the space of his rambling, run-down property that was kind of a bit of a mess. And he'd found a space in which he could work. But he hadn't been able to deal with, the, with all of the difficulties and challenges, so he'd just live with it. And you know, we often live with things, and there are seasons for which we just find that we just have to live with them. But when a vision comes in your heart, you've got to deal with the less than best that is in your house if you want to go out and have a best somewhere else. And what happened is that we looked at this garage and, and, and that just says, well, let's just take off the roof and we'll put a slate roof on it and let's, um, let's um, put in a floor. Um, the walls were so porous that when it rained, hundreds of gallons would literally pour through the brickwork, run through the floor and fill up a hole. There was a 200-gallon hole in the, in the floor of the garage. It was a mess. It was, really, it was colder in the building, inside the, the framework than it was outside. And uh, it was after we finished it, actually. But <laughs> and it was it was just one. Of, it was a rambling old property, but we managed to turn it into something which was beautiful because of a vision to have a business that would prosper. Yeah. And so we turned it around. And Dad had lived with it for twenty years. It, that's what it was for twenty years. But the moment a vision came, he decided that it would look different. You've got to understand, when you get a vision, you've got to change the house before you can change the world. And so we've got to form a vision on the inside. We're going to go out and adventure. The house changes. And we, we, we start to remove the things that we've always lived with, the attitudes that we live with, the mindsets, the thought process of how you're doing stuff changes because we're going to go out and we're going to live a different life. The thing with an adventure is it's completely different to your norm. It's a different world. It's a different place. It's a place where you begin to live in a different rhythm. You come with different mindsets. You have different attitudes. You, you begin to process, the whole process of your faith begins to change. You see, to change the future, you must change the now. All right? Gideon hadn't considered the option of a greater place because he was just used to living with it. You know, here's the thing 
that changed Gideon. It was a conversation with God. It was a conversation with God changed Gideon. Now here's the thing with Gideon's life. Nothing else had changed. Absolutely nothing else had changed. The Midianites were still there. The altar for Baal was still there. Everything was still there. But the conversation changed him. When we're asking for God to move, we're not asking for a conversation. We're asking for God to prove himself in the circumstances. Now, every sign that God gave Gideon was not a sign of any practical usefulness whatsoever. He turned fleece, he made the fleece dry, he made the fleece wet. Right, that's helpful. He, he touched the, the fire. He went up in the fire. That's not helpful for Gideon. It was helpful in revelation, but it wasn't helpful in practical. What you, most of us pray for is, God, give me the money. God, give me the change. Give me the relationship. God, change this. God, change that. And God's going, yeah, no, that's not my job. That's your job. My job is to change you. And so Gideon has a conversation with God and, the, and the, the conversation he has is what changes him. Here's the thing. You have to watch the conversations you have with God and the conversations you have with other people. I don't know what the conversation... Gideon goes to the angel of the Lord. He says, I am the youngest. I am the least. What kind of conversation would Gideon have been having with the people around him? Oh yeah, we're just the smallest family. We're the least family. We're not going to inherit much. There was a sense of less than. It was the accepted. And he was the youngest. So if he's the youngest of the least, he's considered less than. And he would have been reminded, oh yeah, just, you're just the youngest. You're just the, you're just the nobody. And it probably wasn't said maliciously, but it would have been said that would leave you in no... You're just left with this sense of, yeah, it's not going to happen. I've had many people come to me and just say things to me which diminish your heart rather than enlarge it. And they don't say it in such a way that it's obvious they're being nasty. They say it in a way that seems like they're being nice. I remember somebody coming to me and just saying, Kev, you'll never get a building. Really nice person. Oh, no. No, you'll never get a building. Don't tell me you'll never get a building, you toad. I'll push you down the stairs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, the angel of the Lord trips thee. (laughs) Praise the Lord when you hit the bottom. (laughs) It just said it. It just came out of the mouth. I decided I don't, want to, I don't want to talk to you anymore. You know what? You have to watch who you talk to. Do you know, psychologists will say, uh, this is one of these generally accepted claims which is probably scientifically unprovable, but it has a, it has a, a, a sort of a, a wisdom around it. It says you are the average of the five people you hang around with the most. You are the average of the five people you hang around the most. Now, it could be six, right? <laughs> we're not going to argue about who, but you are the average of the people you hang around with the most 
And so if you hang around with people whose conversation will undermine you, whose dream will be robbed out of you, who will throw questions about who you are, who will diminish the vision, then your vision will be diminished regardless of how wonderful you think your faith is and how strong you think you are. You will become them because the conversation will take you out. And so, you know, Sharon and I found over the years, well, we just stopped talking to people whose conversations take us down because I can't afford to go there. It, loving them, I, I love them enough not to talk to them. Because <laughs> I'm not going to do them any good by going with them. If I've got to go on an adventure of faith, I've got to talk to people who live a life of faith. And if they've got the wisdom, the guts or the inspiration, they might follow me. But I am not talking to them until they're willing to do so. And so you've got to make a decision within your heart. Who do you follow? Do you follow the vision, the faith that is in your heart that comes from God? Are you listening to the vision of faith? And are you talking to those people who inspire and lift your heart? Or are you having conversations that just happen around your life? And here's the thing with those kind of conversations. You don't realize you're having them because they're with people that just you just have them. I was in the vets the other day with the... Uh, I was in the vet's the other day with the dog. The vet decided that she had a, a lump that could be cancerous, so they were going to take it out. And it wasn't. It was just a wart. I paid 320 quid for a wart. <laughs> I could have got wart remover. Just put it on the... D- <laughs> freeze it. 320 quid. I'm not grieved. And... Uh, I'm in the vets, I'm in the vets, and there's this woman in there. She comes in, she comes in, she comes in with the dog. The dog is as wide as the door. <laughs> she comes, she comes in wide, and she's going, oh, the, you know, he's got, he's got to have this check and that. And, and she goes, the vet keeps saying he's got to lose a bit of weight. But, you know, it's like, oh, look at those eyes. The dog was ugly, right? It got, got eyes like a frog. I'm thinking, if I looked at that dog, I would starve it. There was no... <laughs> There is no way I would feed that thing. That is vile. That is not a creature that should be breathing. <laughs> it's an ungodly manifestation of something demonic. That's what that thing is, right? But here's this one. She goes, look at my little picture. This guy's really like... And, and she's having this conversation. And the way she's talking to me leaves me with... You, they, the, there's no reply other than, I know, I understand. You know how it goes? So they're telling you their problem, but they're telling you in such a way that you have no other place other than to agree with them or confront them. And nobody likes a confrontation. So we just go with the flow. Oh, yeah. Because what you're thinking in your head is finish the conversation, get out of here quickly. But here's the problem. We do that so much with one another that we end up agreeing with each other's less, each other's minimal, each other's less than. We end up agreeing and we're agreeing with them even though your natural brain is going, this is not right. You can't change that conversation because they've given you no capacity to do so. And so with those kind of conversations, you just got to turn around and go, I think I'm going to talk to someone who lifts me, who gives me faith, who stretches my heart. I'm going to limit the time I spend with people who diminish me, that I might spend time with people who might inspire me. 
who might lift me up, who might encourage me, who might challenge me, who has the ability to say things to me I might not like, but will improve me. And give them permission. Gideon gave this angel permission to speak into his life. Here, this, this is the thing. We endorse the things we accept and live with, even if we don't like them. If we don't challenge them, we endorse them. And so we have to come into a place where we can follow the things that God has called in our heart. Now let me, I want to come to this final point because I know I've gone over time. It says here, um, it says here in Philippians chapter 3 verse 16. If you're going to have a conversation with people who are going to inspire your heart and lift your faith, you've got to have a conversation with those people that are going to challenge you. It says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 16, Nevertheless, to the, to, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, joining in following my example, note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I've told you often, and now I tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. What we have to do is we have to note those who walk with fruitfulness, walk with blessing. Note them and look at the pattern that was set. Here's the amazing thing about the Christian life. The beautiful thing about the Christian life. It's the people of faith leave patterns the rest of us can easily follow. Now, following a pattern is of itself a challenge. But at least you've got the map. Because a pattern of itself will say to you, this is what you've got to do. And you'll come to a point you go, yeah, but I've got to follow the pattern. If you follow the pattern of, of other great heroes of faith, you will gain the same results because the pattern they lay out, the life they lived, is what caused the, that life that they lived, that life of faith, is a pattern they followed from someone else. And they just followed it through and they got those results. I want you to tell you, I want you to understand something about blessing. Blessing doesn't come of itself just it's like it, if it did right you go say oh you're blessed you're not so oh well God doesn't love me then just follow follow another pattern now in following the pattern we have our own challenges so you can't measure your now moment as your whole life that's a problem a lot of people do right the struggles you're going through now isn't, the, isn't your whole life. Just because you're struggling in the now doesn't mean to say your whole life is somehow a misery and God hates you. Come on, wakey-wakey. It's just a challenge. But when people live life, people, we, many Cheryl and pastors, we oversee a number of pastors and people come to us and they ask us about family life, about marriage life about many areas of those kind of things where we've followed a pattern. Well, we've only followed a pattern that other people set for us that we're walking in. Not that clever. 
But the pattern we've been consistent in walking through has produced the result. If you do what we did, you'll get the same result. Because the blessings come by the obedience of following on walking that adventure. You're going to walk, we're going to walk on an adventure church. We're going to take the church on an adventure of seeing a nation turn to Christ. We're going to see strongholds broken down. We're going to see prosperity even in the land of poverty. We're going to see a flow of God's provision in every circumstance. But we do, we start in the house and we step out and we start pushing into every situation and every circumstance where we just kind of feel like, oh man, maybe I can't do this. Well, you know what? If you think you can't do it, have a look for someone who did do it and ask yourself this question, how? What did they do? Because what they did is the pattern of faith that requires in your heart to go, if they can do it, then I just need to find those steps of obedience. John G. Lake, one of my great heroes of faith, if you've never heard of him, look him up on the internet, buy his buy the book about his life and his sermons it will blow your brain it's very turn of the century Pentecostal um, style of writing quite old fashioned in a sense turn of, when I say turn of the century I mean the 20th not the 21st and, uh, um, and uh, John G. Lake was one of the most extraordinary healing ministries um, but he was an apostle that planted thousands of churches got them established um, and he, in fact he's the father of the apostolic movement uh, that you see around the world today and uh, so John G. Lake is one of those great heroes. He was a man filled with the Holy Spirit, um, healed, and, and people would say, you have this way of talking. They would say, you have a, a beautiful, they would say to him, you, you have a beautiful filling of the Holy Spirit. I don't know what other people had, but <laughs> that's the language they would use. And he would say, no, I, no. Because he accepted that he wasn't rejecting the, the, the blessing they were saying. But he was so hungry because he wanted to be filled. He, he was convinced that he needed more of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't settling with what he had. He was convinced he needed more. And he never actually went out and did anything until he got the more. Jesus said to the apostles, he says, wait here until you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Some people are so willing to go out with the adventure, but they haven't made the house great before they left. What you have with you will affect what you have when you get there. So we've got to understand in this place and at this time, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be touched with His presence and His life. We need to up the game of our heart and our life and our faith to declaration of the words that come out of our mouth. And we need to challenge every aspect of our life that we can stand up and say, we are going to have an adventure that sees a city turned around for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's still stand up.